Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm joined by Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress here this afternoon. J.J. Jackson might be along for the ride at some point as well. A lot to do on the show as always today. Of course, we'll get to your phone calls at 887-341 locally, toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on at 430. Birthdays and sports as we always do. And we'll have a nightly TV guide to conclude the show. But we start today talking about something we talked a lot about on yesterday's show. And, uh, of course, is the talk of the college football world. Very sad news that Mike Leach, the head coach of Mississippi State, has passed away at the age of 61. He was hospitalized on Sunday. And as more details came out over the uh, following 24 hours, things continued to look worse and worse for his health. And so Mike Leach is no longer with with us. He has passed away at the age of 61, a true uh, pillar of what it meant to be uh, in college football, uh, someone that was unique in every sense of the word, someone that was authentic in every sense of the word, and someone that will be truly missed from the sport of college football. Of course, this was his third season at Mississippi State, but he was probably best known for his time at Texas Tech. He then followed Texas Tech and went to Washington State, where he revived that program and spent the last three years in Starkville. His last game was the Egg Bowl, in which they defeated Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss team. Lane Kiffin, amongst others, plenty of others, having a lot to say about Mike Leach today. So if you want to give your thoughts on the Pirate, Mike Leach, feel free to give us a call. Again, at 887-341, locally, toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. But, again, we'll start the show talking a little bit about Mike Leach and the impact he made in college football. Ryan, Brooks, and Brent with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Fellas, hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's it's a sad day, not just for the SEC, but a a sad day in college football. You know, it, it, it feels like you, you know, Mike Leach was kind of the personification of college football itself because he, he wasn't, you know, it, it, he's kind of wacky, kind of kind of unique, but overall he was he was fun and had a fun personality and you never knew what you were going to get uh, when he stepped up to the microphone. And he, he always loved uh, any, you know, chance he got to, uh, to speak in a microphone. I, I know, you know, he's some of the biggest – uh, moments of you know off the field for him was uh, you know like kind of goofing around and talking to, to reporters about any random thing. If Sasquatch was real, the who would win in a fight and with Pac-12 mascots, uh, giving marriage advice on how to get married. Uh, that, that was one of my personal favorites. Um, he's that, there were several renditions of that too. I think the the most recent one was within the last year or two to uh, uh, told it to Alyssa Lang from the SEC Network. Um, but yeah, it is a sad day college football wise. Um, 
he he had a lot of great games. Uh, Mississippi State has announced that the, the the team will still play in the Rely Quest Bowl coming up here uh, right after the first of the year in Tampa, Florida. I think it's a I think it's um, appropriate that they play their their Mississippi State plays their next game in a stadium that features a pirate ship uh, as part of the the decor there in in Tampa. As they'll play at uh, Raymond James Stadium where the Buccaneers play. And if you've never been down there, have never seen it, you know you got the pirate ship and I believe it's the north end zone of the the stadium where uh, Tampa Bay plays. And so it, it's going to be you know it they're they're going to go out there and. Uh, they'll compete for their coach, and you know it, it's it's as I said, a, a sad day for for college football for to lose a guy like Mike Leach. If you you know some people may not have liked him, but I think overall he was a well liked coach around around the country. Yeah, uh, I mean it's uh, an incredibly sad day to lose a guy like that. Um, iconic for several reasons. Uh, I mean his just start with the football side of things what he does off what he did offensively the offense that he created it's tough to innovate in a field that has been around for over 150 years uh, but Mike Leach and Hal Mummy they managed to do it and now uh, portions of the air raid offense can be seen everywhere from middle school to the NFL you know I, I've talked about it before in high school I ran a version of the air raid offense for a couple of years and, and that was you know, people are doing it in high school now. Something that was such this that felt like a gimmick offense at first has become a, a nationally recognized thing in the sport of football and and you know air raid concepts. And then you get into the person that was Mike Leach. Nobody, nobody did, nobody was more unapologetically themselves than Mike than Mike Leach was. It was never boring with him and and the way that he conducted himself and carried himself was so unique and refreshing in a way because it felt like he didn't take himself too seriously which is kind of a, a rare air when it comes to college football coaches so uh tons of stories uh, personal and well known coming out today about mike leach and every great thing that he has done both for the sport of football and and for individuals that uh, he knew outside of the sport so like you like you guys said a very sad day and, and mike leach was in a lot of ways college football and that he was wacky and weird and uh always shocking but never boring and always entertaining and and losing him uh it's 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 a shot you know it, it is something that truly hurts to the college football fan yeah absolutely and uh, i did not know him personally was in attendance for his uh, seven word opening statement uh, at SEC Media Days last year, which is quite ironic because he's usually a man of many words. I want to share a couple of the favorite stories I've seen about him, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen great stories about him over the last 48 hours, but want to share a couple of funny ones uh, to kind of encapsulate the personality of Mike Leach that I saw uh, online earlier today. So this is uh, uh, Kyle Bonagura uh, of ESPN. Uh, he said uh, earlier today, quick story, I texted him once asking about the best prank he'd ever seen in college football. He immediately calls me. I'm glad you asked. So um, uh, this one time, he shares a couple stories, and after like 15 minutes, I hear the distinct sound of a whistle. Mike, where are you right now? Oh, I'm just at practice. Uh, I can let you go. This isn't that important. Are you kidding me? So where was I? Oh, yeah. And the man picks up right where he left off, offering story suggestions while coaching practice for another 20 minutes. So Mike Leach, just up in the middle of a practice, calls this guy, uh, starts talking to him about college football, uh, best pranks he's seen and all that for 30 minutes while coaching a practice. Uh, another one from uh, that I saw earlier today, 
Uh, this is uh, via Lincoln Riley's article in the Players' Tribune. Uh, my first or second year as an assistant at Tech, I was doing some work on Coach Leach's in Coach Leach's office when his cell phone rang. He picked it up and said, "Hey, how's it going?" And then he listened for a second and asked, "Where are you calling from?" He kept talking on the phone, and I eventually sort of tuned out. Now, a short phone conversation for Coach Leach is an hour, so he was talking about this and that, and I was kind of hunkered down working on my own stuff. At some point, the call got dropped. They must have lost reception. Coach said, "Can you hear me? Are you there?" Then he closed his old school flip phone, swung it back open, and redialed. He said, hey, sorry, I lost you. And then they resumed their conversation for another 30 minutes or so before Coach finally hung up. After he was done, we started talking, and I said, hey, Coach, who was that on the phone? And he said, oh, they had the wrong number. That's, that is Mike Leach right there. Hour and a half phone conversation and a redial <laughs> with the wrong number. Uh, of course, a lot of great Mike Leach stories to go around. We've seen several um, – uh, play out we've seen several re- remembered and again i've seen so many people comment on him for a guy you know just that i mean i a lot of, most people knew who he was but i mean this is someone that we kind of don't talk about every single day every single year i mean you, you you talk about usually the top programs and so you talk about guys like nick saban all the time kirby smart uh, even Lincoln Riley now, uh, but Mike Leach just kind of chilling, doing his thing, doing being a program builder, as he has been in his entire coaching career. And one note on his, uh, or a couple notes on his coaching resume. I was doing some research earlier today. Uh, at Texas Tech, he went eighty-four and forty-three, and that was in ten seasons. There have been thirteen seasons uh, since Mike Leach departed from Texas Tech. Not only have they never had, since he left, a nine-win season, of which he had four of while at Texas Tech, uh, in 13 years, they have not won more than Mike Leach won in 10 years. So Texas Tech has not been the same since he departed. And then Washington State, of course, he was at Washington State for eight years, went 55-47. and 47. You say 55-47, and 47, that's eh, kind of eh. Well... The eight years before Mike Leach took over, Washington State won a total of, wait for it, 29 games. So he doubled Washington State's win total, nearly doubled Washington State's win total in the eight years that he was there compared to the prior eight years of Washington State football, taking on immensely difficult Power 5 jobs. And, of course, at Mississippi State, we know the context a little better. Being in the SEC, prior to Dan Mullen, it had been – uh, a, a very pedestrian program. Dan Mullen elevates it to a degree, gets them to a number one ranking, have plenty of ranked teams, plenty of bowl games. And then Joe Moorhead, a couple rough years at State. They they backtrack rather quickly. And then here comes Mike Leach, his very first game in the SEC, defeats reigning champions LSU in Death Valley. And then these last two years has been bowl eligible. I guess technically they went to a bowl game at 3-7 and seven in 2020, <laughs> winning that bowl game. But these last two years winning seven and now eight games was certainly in the process of returning Mississippi State at what it was for much of the time under Dan Mullen. So, again, Mike Leach has passed away at the age of 61. We're going to go to our first timeout of the show. We'll take your phone calls and uh, continue on with this Tuesday edition of Sports Call right after this.
May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, or if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast. My name is Ryan Boy. I'm joined by Brooks Childress and Brant Daughtry here this afternoon. Afternoon, Excuse me. There you go. 334-887-34. Locally, toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. And join us on the Auburn Bank phone line today. Let's go there for the first time today. Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Um, good to hear again uh, your, your, your voice again, uh, Mr. Ryan LaVoy. Uh, let's see, uh, who else is on today? Brant and Brooks. Brandon Brooks. Okay, afternoon to you guys. Uh, afternoon, yes, uh, Steve. So, unfortunately, a sad day, uh, not only because of uh, Coach uh, Leach uh, being in the football uh, world, uh, known widely popular, uh, but also the person, from what I read uh, from Philip Marshall and other writers about his uh, history. Uh, there was one thing, guys. I want to get your take on. There was recently a decommit of a uh, Mississippi State football player who entered the transfer portal. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, he had some. Uh, I guess, I, I guess some uh, innuendos or uh, some slights about how he entered the transfer portal. Do you remember who that gentleman was that player? And he said that he was let go because he wasn't, uh, or he entered transfer portal because Mike Lee didn't think he was tough enough. Yeah, Do you Dylan who that guy is was? it. Dylan Johnson, I believe, is the kid's name, and uh, yeah, he's a running back and. Yeah, he had some choice words for Mike Leach in his uh, his exits in his uh, exit post that he made, uh, but since then he has come back and tweeted out. Since it it came out that Mike Leach was not in the best health, he did come back and say we didn't end on the best of terms, but I still love you. You know, he said all the right things uh, once all of this went down. Yeah, his uh, his direct comments first in the um, uh, when he was leaving Mississippi State, yeah, he he basically said, uh, "I'm trying to." I think he's actually deleted it unless I've passed it. But um, he, he basically said, made a slight and said, since I'm not tough enough or since I'm not uh, r- right for this system, I'm going to move on. But his uh, his tweet later, uh, or I guess today, uh, was, I know we had our different opinions on things, and I know we didn't see eye to eye on things, but we are family, and sometimes families have disagreements. It's a part of life. I'm sorry this happened to you, Coach Leach. I love you, bro. Keep swinging that sword, my guy. Okay, because to me, I was trying to reconcile his comments about uh, feeling like uh, that he was not tough enough, according to what he said from Coach Leach. And then I read it uh, quite often uh, that uh, Coach Leach was not someone who went you know, soft on people, or he himself was pretty tough, uh, and I just didn't know how to reconcile those kind of comments uh, with uh, everything I've read about uh, Coach Leach. I've never heard some, you know, those kind of, I guess, slights. 
right? Uh, well, from other players. It, it makes sense, though, because I know Mike Leach was very authentic, and that's one thing that a lot of people talk about with him is that he wasn't a big coach-speak guy. He was very big on talking about whenever, whatever. And so I, it stands to reason if he truly thought someone was not giving effort, effort or was not right for the program anymore, he was going to let them know about that. All right. Well, um, moving on, gentlemen. I just read that uh, Croatia lost 3 to nothing to Argentina. Yeah, Argentina dominated. Uh, a couple more messy uh, goals and uh, just, just were the better team by far. Yeah, and Croatia is not a bad team, so I'm surprised that they lost that convincingly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all were. Croatia had made it a habit of getting behind in this tournament. They had been down uh, multiple goals before and been able to fight back. And so uh, it was not a shock that Argentina came out and scored first or maybe even that they scored two goals. But then when Croatia was not able to respond and then Argentina gets another goal there late to make it 3-0, uh, the, the surprise was obviously the Croatia was not able to fight back. But uh, that had been the trend for both these teams they were talking about because even Argentina had been getting out to leads and maybe they had blown some of those leads. But uh, the, the start of it was as expected. It was just that Croatia was not able to, to fight back. Well, tomorrow will be the definitely, I guess, underdog, significant underdog. Uh, Morocco. Oh, yeah. Uh, first African nation to make the semifinals of a World Cup, which is a big deal. Uh, they've been massive underdogs throughout. And, and, look, France is really, really good. They're the defending World Cup champions. Uh, they're here for a reason. So it, it is it is definitely a, a David versus Goliath moment. But uh, we'll see. That's why they play the game. And I didn't know this because I'm not a, a big uh, follower of soccer. You guys may know it. But I read this. Uh, from uh, the New York Times, apparently there's a less than 11 playing field when it comes to non-European countries and how many uh, countries from the non-European side are allowed to, I guess, to participate. 13 European uh, countries are apparently, um, or I guess, get access to playing in the World Cup finals, whereas only five African uh, countries are. Do you know that disparity? Yes, and it's it's simply because the European nation, nations are better at soccer. They they designate uh, how many nations get in depending on just kind of the quality of play and and how those teams rank. And I mean, for example, Concacaf, which is uh, Central America and and obviously North America, uh, I think they get four uh, total bids. And so it, it's really all about. Um, just how quality those teams are and if you if you know soccer uh those countries in europe germany uh obviously in the uk uh is countries like italy spain portugal they're all really invested in soccer and uh their their leagues are the top leagues in the world and and uh and so that that's why it's like that what about that, guys? Just really, your, your, your real brief comments on that. I've never quite understood how come soccer has never taken off the way it has the rest of the world in the U.S. Because it's not an expensive sport. There, I mean, uh, my kids played soccer. I played at it. Uh, you got a soccer ball, and it's not expensive in terms of you know, like football is with all the different you know clothing and uh, uh, the suits and the, and the shoes, and uh, maybe even baseball, you know, or even. Uh, I, I, uh, do you have a, a reasonable possible explanation for why it's never caught on here? 
I, one of, I mean, there, there's several different theories of why it hasn't caught on in, in the U.S. One of the biggest ones is, you know, it, it was a sport that really wasn't developed in America. It was developed in England. And so you look around at the, the major sports leagues around the world. You, American football, obviously, the biggest league is in the U.S. Basketball, the biggest league in the world is in the U.S. Baseball, is, the biggest league is in the U.S. Hockey, uh, you can make an argument that, you know, uh, like a Swedish league or a, the Russian league is pretty big. But still, most of those top of their players come and play in the in the NHL and soccer is really the biggest sport in the world that the major league the the biggest league is not in the U.S. Major League Soccer, uh, which is the the professional league here in the United States, is kind of not frowned upon but kind of looked down upon by most of the uh, rest of the leagues in the world and they're they're doing their best to you know re redo that image and make it a better league and kind of you know help it to grow a little bit more but still you know the best leagues in the world are in europe and uh in really in in europe you've got the premier league in england you've got the the bundesliga in germany you've got the Serie A in in italy and the, those are coming kind of the, the three of the biggest leagues in the world and you know the u.s you don't have the biggest league here not the big the biggest stars don't come and play in the u.s unless it's the end of their career and they're just you know looking for a, a paycheck at the end of you know very end of their career like uh a, a David Beckham. Uh, there's rumors that Lionel Messi could come to the U.S. in a few years to finish out his career. There's rumors that Ronaldo could come here at the end of his career for a few years. And it's it's the U.S. has never really put their best athletes invested them towards soccer because they're bi- the biggest sport in the U.S. by far is the NFL and the greatest athletes are going to go play football and try to get into the NFL. Meanwhile, you know, England's greatest athletes, they're going to play soccer or they're going to play cricket, but most important, you know, more, more likely they're going to play soccer. Okay. Well, I appreciate your giving me some uh, brief uh, history on that. Moving on real quickly, guys. Uh, today on this date, in 1992, December 13th, Something happened in professional hockey uh, that had not been done before. What would that be, Steve? A goaltender by the name of M-A-N-O-N, Manon, R-H-E-A-U-M-E, her last name, became the first female to play in a pro hockey game. Wow. All right. And she played for none other than the Atlanta Knights. Okay. I never knew that there was an Atlanta Knights. But I guess they were a minor league team. Do they still exist? Um, that's what I was trying to look Not at. That no, I'm aware of. It, it ended in uh, 1996. They were a minor league hockey, professional hockey team in the International Hockey League from 1992 to 1996. Well, she played for six minutes in that game and stopped four shots and allowed one goal. But she finally made it to the NHL. On September 23rd, 1993, she became also the first woman to play for who? The Tampa Bay Lightning. Wow. In a preseason game against the St. Louis Blues. She didn't make the regular season uh, team, though. Uh, but then she went on to play uh, with the Canadian Women's National Team uh, before she retired in 1997. I said, wow. So she actually made it to the uh, uh, NHL, even though it was preseason. Uh, has any other female, because according to this, no other female has ever made it to the uh, National Hockey League. Do you know of anyone else? Uh, not that we're aware of. So, uh, I just uh, thought uh, that was interesting. Uh, I didn't know women were allowed in the NHL, but I guess they are, right? If you can make it, I guess so. 
Okay. Well, that's good to know. Moving on to something a little bit more coming up for tomorrow again, guys. Uh, the, the the shooting uh, and our shooters, so to me, are, uh, let's say, lackluster, if I can put that mildly. And I don't know how much correctable that is. Educate me. You know, uh, we've got some people I thought uh, could shoot. And then I see our players at times when we have the ball, they're just standing around. In the, like in the Memphis game, no one was constantly moving around. They were just standing around, guys. Um, can you help me educate why that is? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with this team, um, you know, they Bruce Pearl teams have always been really good in transition. That That's their – that's what they'd like to do uh, first and foremost offensively. Um, you know, when they get in their half court sets, they have been very reliant on Wendell Green Jr. to create for them, uh, probably too much so. And so that they really m- kind of make him orchestrate everything. And, and you're right, at times it gets v- very flat. And to be honest with you, like, I think that's just kind of. Uh, something that I've seen a lot of just during Bruce Pearl's entire tenure is just that now they don't have as good of shooters uh, around their point guard play to be able to make tough shots, be able to make um, shots and bunches as they have in previous teams. And, uh, you know, you look at the team and there's just not many shooters that you feel very confident about. I mean, technically – uh, you know, Chris Moore is leading this team in three-point shooting. He's shooting 54%. I think he's like five of nine or, or maybe a little higher than that. But he's not shot a lot of them. Uh, and then besides that, you got to go uh, down to Alan Flanagan at 38%. And obviously last year he struggled mightily. So it's been very up and down on whether he's been a good shooter or not. And you got some other guys that are capable of certain types of threes, but but you, by and large part, you just have a team full of average shooters or, or poor shooters, and um, you know that that is I do not think that's going to change because we kind of know who these guys are. As much as people love Wendell Green Jr. making a thirty footer, the reality is he shot about thirty two percent from three this last year, and he's shooting thirty one percent this year. He's not a great three point shooter. Um, so you know I, I think that the team is limited in the shooting that they do and offensively they, they you know you're right I mean they, they do get stagnant at times when they're when they're caught up in the half court that's always been a scouting report to, to defend Bruce Pearl teams and uh, this year it's just being even more emphasized because they don't have the great shooting they normally have or they don't have like a Jabari Smith last year to be able to just go get tough buckets uh, when things break down and then our defense I thought was so great maybe it was our opponents but they were somehow drawing out our defenders from the basket, and they were sneaking in uh, rather easily uh, with layups uh, or causing uh, fouls. Uh, and they scored 80, what, 82 points against our defense. I said, wow, uh, is this Memphis a game a foreboding of what we might continue to see in the SEC, or this is just an anomaly? I think it's at least a warning. Um, I, I think that I, I still trust Auburn's defense overall. I still trust that they can rebound and block shots well, although they, they obviously did not do those things effectively at all against Memphis. Memphis came out and played really well, and, and teams are going to study the way the Memphis played, so Auburn's going to have to adjust. 
but I still think you look at the the guys on the floor and you still have a bunch of guys that are still scrappy defenders, still capable blocking shots. Uh, you know, I think of on ball defense with Sepp Jasper and Katie Johnson and and how feisty those guys are, uh, how long some of these wings are and how long obviously Treor and uh, Cardwell and Broom are and how deft the latter two have been at shot blocking. And so I, I don't think that they are going to all of a sudden be giving up 80 a game. I, I do not think that it was clearly a bad performance against Memphis. But uh, it, it does emphasize that there's going to be nights where uh, other teams either hit a lot of shots or just have big playmakers, and, and you're going to have to respond to that offensively. And I'm just not sure that Auburn is going to be able to do that very consistently, again, with their offensive problem. So I'm not too worried about their defense or their rebounding, that sort of stuff for now. Uh, but certainly it was a, a disappointment against Memphis. Yeah, I just couldn't – I mean, I kept seeing this guy Davis. I said, well, darn, you know, uh, he was making it so easy. He looked so easy. He would just somehow get in there uh, unguarded. Yeah, they, they got to the rim a lot and – uh, they talked about that, and, and again, no shot blocks for Auburn until there's about three or four minutes left in the game. So Memphis was, was very effective at driving the rim and, and protecting their shots and, and getting them up on the rim. And some people uh, who are better educated than I am on uh, basketball said this was probably one of the best things that could have happened to us uh, to expose what it is uh, that uh, need to correct. Do you agree with that uh, analysis? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely want to lose. If you're, I mean, everyone's going to lose some games. I, I think you want to lose them uh, when they're a little less meaningful. Auburn did not get get to losing too many games last year until it was very late in the season, and uh, it kind of snowballed on them a little bit. So, I mean, I you know, I'm never big fans of losses. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, needed this. You know, inherently, there's still a long way to go, and. You know, maybe the loss leads to a lot more losses, and in that case, that that's not that you're not you're not a fan of that. But uh, it does wake them up in the sense that uh, they need to bring the defensive effort every night. That's going to have to be a part of who they are, no matter how well they're shooting the ball, no matter who they're playing. Uh, and, and but they're also but the the, the catch twenty two that is they're also very aware of their offensive struggles too because they've had some other games that they've won this year. I mean I don't care what Northwestern becomes this year. Uh, you, you know, forty four point forty four points in a win uh, that ain't happening every day. Uh, and and that probably would not happen again in, in the same year. So um, they they're very aware of their offensive struggles. I think if anything this will wake them up to make sure that they don't have any any slack in their defensive effort they don't have another game like that defensively so you would not expect i hope from what i'm understanding what you're saying Brian, that tomorrow night's game against georgia state will be somehow a walk in the park or taken lightly by this team right i, I do not think it'll be taken lightly auburn is favored by 20 and a half i definitely think they're capable of covering it i think the real test will be when they go out to the west coast they play southern cal um, on the 18th, which is this Sunday, and then they play at Washington next Wednesday, so in eight days. Those are the two games where you're going to find what Auburn has learned to this point in the year, what they're improving on. The Georgia State game, with all due respect to Georgia State, uh, you, you don't learn much about uh, yourself with teams like that. You don't necessarily correct a lot of things like that. Auburn 
um, against Colgate played their very best offensive game of the year, the, the game before the Memphis game, and then they went back to having kind of average to below average offense. So, uh, again, not saying Georgia State's un- incapable, not saying uh, in March if they were to get in the NCAA tournament as a 14 or 15, they wouldn't screw someone's bracket over, not saying any of that, but you're not going to really put to the test what you've learned against the team like Georgia State in Neville Arena. Okay, and real finally, the last question. Uh, coming up, USC and Washington, are they considered to be quad one level teams? Um, so it would probably vary because I think they'd be on the border. I It will help immensely that Auburn will be on the road because I think it's top – I think quad one is like top 25 or 30 at home and then top 50 on the road. Or something like that. I think Brooks might be uh, looking up the metrics right now, but I know it, it is. You don't have to be ranked as highly um, uh, when you're run, when you're on the road, which Auburn will be. So it's very. I, I think they will probably be quad one games. Both Washington and USC are unranked. They are seven and three. I would think on first glance they would be bubble teams. Um, so this would be important for both of their programs too to beat a team like Auburn. So, but I, I think it would be quad one because it's on the road. Okay, um, yeah, I think a lot. I did see real quickly. Aaron Sipsos did a uh, tremendous effort and a hit on the Philadelphia Eagles game. You know that, right? He uh, got the, his punt block, but then he ran it out of the end zone and almost made a first down uh, for yes. the team. I did see that play. And uh, that's probably kind of dangerous for him because uh, uh, he, he probably could have been hurt and injured uh, in a, his attempt to return it, right? Yeah, uh, kickers and punters can be fragile at times. They also sometimes can make very dope open field tackles, but uh, at other times uh, they can be <laughs> they can be hit and be injured very quickly. So, uh, but yeah, you got your football player at the end of the day. So he's trying to make a play after uh, the play went awry. All right, guys, thank you for your time. I always appreciate uh, your analysis of things that I'm not that educated about. So, with that said, have a relaxing afternoon and. Uh, We'll talk again, uh, hopefully, uh, tomorrow. War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve. That is retired War Eagle, Steve, joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Brooks, real quickly. Yeah, uh, I wanted to, you know, we brought up uh, what type of uh, quad this would be. Uh, For the net rankings, a quad one win at home is one through 30. At a neutral side, it's one through 50. And away, it's one through 75. Ways is very, okay. But that would not be a quad one win right now in the net rankings for either of these schools for Auburn because right now in the net rankings Southern California is 129 in the nets and I think I saw Washington is 101 so these they're off the bad start I mean they're seven and three I haven't gone through the the seven and the three um but uh that's interesting. I would not. So, I would have guessed. Surely they'd be top one hundred. You you could have bought me. You could have sold me on eightieth, but uh, one twenty. So both of these would be quad two wins if Auburn were to get both of these wins because away quad two win is a seventy six through one thirty five. Now but, explain this to me. If Auburn wins, regardless of what happens, if if those two teams continue to win and they get bumped up in the net rankings, does this become a quad one win? I think it does. Yeah. Okay, and, and that's where I was about to to go is. Uh, it's ever-changing landscape, so you could do something at the time that seems more or less significant, and then it changes uh, throughout the season. I, I know the Pac-12's got a few good teams, so there would there would be opportunities for those teams to win some big games. But again, with just 10 games in, admittedly, I'm not going to be able to 
power rank a full sheet other than like Arizona uh, of the Pac-12. But uh, still, nevertheless, having to go to the other coast, we, we, we know the difficulty of those games, and they will be a big opportunity for Auburn, whether they ultimately fall in the quad one or quad two categories. Let's go ahead and take our final break of our number one. More sports call after this. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au this is philip lolly former auburn tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 national championship team and you are listening to sports call Welcome back. Final segment of Sports Call in hour number one. Ryan Brandt and Brooks with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Just had a great phone call with retired Ward and Steve on our Auburn Bank phone line. And uh, we talked about several things with Steve, but we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the last few items that he was talking about with Auburn basketball. Of course, they've got Georgia State tomorrow night in Neville Arena. They've got Washington and USC, not in that order. USC and Washington would be the correct order next week or, I guess, Sunday into next week. So they've got a few more non-conference tests here before they get into conference play, a conference which looks pretty good, by the way. Alabama playing really good basketball. Arkansas, Tennessee looks really good this year. Kentucky is uh, still the Wildcats last I checked. Uh, and then even Mississippi State undefeated thus far. Uh, maybe a surprisingly good team. Not Maybe the elite caliber. They haven't played a ton of great competition, but still something to be undefeated at this point in the year. So there's going to be quality teams throughout the league uh, for Auburn to hook up with this season. So I guess what's on everyone's mind is that Memphis game, a Memphis team uh, that will play Alabama uh, tonight, and then a Memphis team that had lost a couple games. It looked okay, but had not looked special this year. How worried are people, and I guess I pose the question to you boys, how worried are you that Auburn did allow 80 or so points to Memphis? Because I know the offense is something we'll talk about all year long, but just defensively specifically, uh, how worrying was that? To me, it was more worrying, not that it happened, but how it happened. You know, you gave up 40 points in the paint, which is, you came in as the leading shot-blocking team in the country. You came in as, we're going to force you to take shots away from the basket because you can't get by our big men. You can't can't get shots up next to our big men. And then you allowed 40 points in the paint, most of them coming from a six-foot-one guard. Uh, It's not like a, a big guy came in there and just beat your big guy. You got... You got out sped by by a little guy, and that's worrying to me because maybe not everybody has a guard that can do that. I would wager most teams don't have a guard that can do that. But the fact that it is show, it is now on tape that you can get by Auburn's bigs. If you can get them out from underneath the basket, you can blow you can blow by Janai Broom. We've seen that at this point. You can get one on ones with Dylan Cardwell where he can't keep up with a fantastic ball handler. If you've got the guy that can take advantage of those kinds of matchups. We've seen the formula, and I think that's kind of the formula that Memphis has exposed. And 
Auburn's going to have to get that fixed uh, if they if they want to keep having success. I don't think it's as worrying as it as some people are you know make it out. Shaking the, the microphone, yeah. um, wow. emphasize. Um, it's stop it, worrying, people. It's fine. It's one game. It, it was one game, and this was uh, uh, which, was, at the end of the day, is true. We should all remember that. It is. It is one game, and this was the first time. Uh, you know, we talked about quad. You know, we talked about the USC and Washington would be quad two wins if Auburn were to win going. For, you know, in uh, next week, but you know, obviously those changed. This was the first quad one game that Auburn's played this year. Uh, they've played some. Good teams. They played some teams that are going to be in contention for their their conference, uh, you know, their conference championships at the end of the year, in contention for a spot in the NCAA tournament. But this is the first quad one win. This is the or not win, but the first quad one game that the Tigers have played, and it's the it's the first game against a team that you're going to be looking at come uh, come uh, uh, selection Sunday that not nece- doesn't necessarily need. To win their turn, win their conference tournament, to get in to the to the NCAA tournament, they're going to be a team that's going to be competing for a bubble spot this year. It is concerning how how quickly the the, the uh, or how the Tigers' defense gave up, you know, eighty some odd points in that game. Uh, it, it's you know not indicative of what the defense is capable of. I think the biggest. Uh, the biggest thing is going to be how the Tigers bounce back in these next three games before the Christmas break. Three three four eight eight seven thirty four and locally toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine. Let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line. About three or four minutes left before we hit the end of the hour. Next up, Ed from Auburn. Ed joins us. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, guys. Uh, hey, I appreciate y'all taking the call. Uh, yeah. Uh, First off, but you know, like everybody else, I, you know, it's kind of a thing. You remember when you were a kid? Well, no, nah, y'all don't. But when I was a kid, and you might get one of those crayon boxes that had like, you know, sixteen colors to it or whatever. Sure. And you'd lose your favorite one or your favorite color or whatever. That's kind of like the SEC. They lost a really colorful guy. You know, and, and Mike Leach, and uh, you know, if y'all are like guys like y'all are in the media, you know, he, he just made, you know, some coaches are so rude and stuff, and he he was a he was a interesting guy, and I you know I wanted to mention that, and then uh, on basketball, you know, I mean, uh, uh, we all know that the, one of the reasons why Auburn was still ranked low. Uh, you know, as far as being undefeated, is is they really haven't played a really strong schedule, like you were alluding to right there, and a couple of good teams, St. Louis, and you know, I mean, there's, uh, I'm not, it, it just, uh, it, you know, I, 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 I think Bruce Pearl might want to get, you know, rethink that as far as you know early. And, and he usually does. We, you know, we usually play a few good teams, but uh, you know, I, I, you got to hand it to what uh, is going on in Tuscaloosa right now. You know, they're really hot. But you know, I, I'm gonna tell you, uh, and the, I, I, I've listened to a program earlier where they were saying uh, that they thought that. Uh, Bama would be seated number one in the West right now in the you know the tournament, 
guys, it's a long ways from the tournament. And one game, and I even heard, uh, I don't know if it's on uh, this show or another one, but people, you know, starting to call and complain about Pearl. And, uh, you know, it, I, I just think it's a lot premature. I think Auburn will be okay. And, and to peak in, uh, you know, to peak in December is not going to help you anything. I'm not saying that Bama's peaking. They, they, they're they playing good. Uh, you know, I mean, they're playing great. Uh, but anyway, guys, I'm going to let y'all go. Thank you for taking my call. And y'all, Merry Christmas. I'll holler at you later. Yes, sir, Ed. Merry Christmas to you as well. appreciate the phone call. That's Ed from Auburn joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. And, yeah, I think people trying to seed teams through nine or ten games is premature, uh, even though Alabama's number four in the country. So logic would say, all right, well, that would be the fourth number one seed. I, I think you got to get at least a few weeks in the conference play before we start, yeah. start talking about seeding and everything. So with Ed there, and uh, and as he said there at the end, you know, peaking in December, we saw what we felt like an Auburn team last year peak in December and January, and then kind of trailed off towards the end, or at the minimum did not get better. And so one of the all-time, one of the best regular season teams in Auburn history really did not achieve anything of note in the postseason, did not win an SEC tournament game, and only won a single game in the NCAA tournament. And so uh, that is another important point is, you know, we we got asked earlier by Steve, you know, I guess better to get a loss now. And I kind of snidely said, well, I don't want to ever lose. But but to be technical, yes, it is better to lose now and in, in the early month of January than it would be to rack up three out of four late in February. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think – Look, Bama is incredibly hot right now. They're very talented. They may very well be one of the best teams in the country. But you're right. It is it is December. What is today? December 13th? Yes. So it's December 13th. We've got a long way to go till March. We're not crowning anybody yet. Uh, but look, the SEC is absolutely loaded. We'll see if Alabama gets cannibalized at some point. That will do it for hour number one of the show. Appreciate Ed from Auburn and Retire Warrior Steve for joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. When we come back in hour number two, we'll have birthdays and sports. And again, at 4.30, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. So you have that to look forward to. And next on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. 
And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Sports Call, the Tuesday edition. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Daughtry here having a good time on this Tuesday afternoon. A lot to get to here as we continue through the show. Uh, fun hour number one, though. Talk to retired Wardham Steve and Ed from Auburn. Talking a little bit about Auburn basketball. And, uh, of course, the passing of Mike Leach at the age of 61. Uh, and a lot more to get to again at 4.30. So coming up about 20, 25 minutes, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. His thoughts on Auburn basketball. His thoughts on Auburn recruiting slash portaling. And uh, any other things that we get to uh, with Ferg, some fun with Ferg. And I don't mean that in the JJ sense when he says fun with Ferg and then asks him like the most uncomfortable question possible uh, right after that. So promise not to do uh, that. But uh, we have not gotten to this yet today. And we do this each and every day. So it's time for birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Birthdays in Sports presented by Max Credit Union today on this Tuesday afternoon. Another day without much sunshine. That's going to continue tomorrow, according to the weatherman. But anyway, the birthdays in sports today. Fletcher Cox turns 32. Defensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. Played college football for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Go Dogs. Drafted by the Eagles in the first round of the 2012 NFL Draft. Super Bowl 52 champion. Six-time Pro Bowler. Fletcher Cox turns 32 today. Nicobe Dean turns 22. Rookie linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. Played college football for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah. Fair enough. 2021 Buckus Award winner, college football playoff national champion at UGA in 2021. Drafted by the Eagles in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft, Nicobe Dean turns 22. Glaber Torres turns 26, infielder for the New York Yankees, two-time MLB All-Star, hitting 265 in his career. With 98 home runs and 310 RBIs was once upon a time. The Yankees' top prospect, Glaber Torres, turns 26 today. Pretty good. I would say so. Luis Garcia turns 26, pitcher for the Houston Cheating Astros. 15-8 and record in 2022 across 28 starts. 157 innings, 3.72 earned run average. World Series champion in 2022 with the Astros, who allegedly did it the right way this time. Luis Garcia turns 26. Can you... He's got the insanely long, annoying wind-up, right? Yep, where he kind of like steps back. Yeah, he takes like three steps. Yeah. This is... I I don't want to... Uh, I, I will take any advantage to bash the Astros, but can you bash Luis Garcia if he was no. not part of that no. Astros team? No. Okay. No, and I did not. I just bashed the Astros. But uh, I was just asking for, for future references. No, pe- like people that year. are not, you know, you can't people that control. that did not take part. Yeah, yeah only, only the participants or those that knew of the participation. Jose Altuve. Exactly. I had a piece on, so he said. Ricky Fowler turns 34, PGA Tour golfer, played college golf at Oklahoma State. The Pokes. Five career wins on the PGA Tours, finished in second place at three of the four major championships, but has not won a major yet. Known for his Puma endorsement and bright colored wardrobe on the golf course, that Ricky Fowler orange became all the craze about a decade ago. 
Ricky Fowler turns 34 today, and those are the birthdays in sports. Fletcher Cox turns 32, Nicobe Dean turns 22, Glaber Torres 26, Luis Garcia 26, and Ricky Fowler 34. And of course, if you have a birthday out there, we wish you a very happy birthday as well. Let's go ahead and go to our first break of our number two. More sports call coming up after this timeout. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Ryan Brandt and Brooks with you here this afternoon. Having a good time. Just did birthdays and sports. And now we move on and want to continue to talk all things Auburn. And we'll kind of set up the Justin Ferguson conversation a little bit here with uh, some more Auburn football topics. They've hired an offensive and defensive coordinator in the last 48 hours uh, got a couple of three-star commits and just trying to build the momentum now of the program, a program that was very behind in recruiting, uh, behind just in every sort of just player involvement as far as getting enough quality players in the program and uh, even the development process. I mean, just the, the, the behind in everything compared to what Auburn uh, is accustomed to being. So uh, right now their class ranks 48th in the 247 composite, and then they've yet to get uh, a portal guy. However, uh, they're working on a lot right now, as everyone is, and not a lot of teams have more than one or two portal commitments because, well, the 1,000-plus the exodus just started a week ago. But uh, ne- nevertheless, a lot of work to do for Auburn. So uh, let's start with the coordinators, though with offensive and defensive hirings here. And for Auburn, I think a lot of people excited about Philip Montgomery in particular uh, on the offensive side of things just because of the quarterbacks he's worked with um, and just how many uh, guys, particularly at Baylor, that he worked with, uh, working with RG3. Now, some people would detract and say that uh, you know, a lot of that was Art Bryles, and, and Bryles was a, a guy very involved in offense, much the way Hugh Freeze is very involved in offense. So I'm not sure I'm too uh, concerned with that argument of it, but I think a lot of people uh, still fairly excited about the, the Philip Montgomery hire. Yeah, I mean, it, he's a he's a, a guy I know a lot of people point to. Well, he was fired this year, but he, he was fired as a head coach. He was not fired as an offensive coordinator at Tulsa. And if you look at Tulsa's offense this year, they were a top 50 offense or a top 50 ranked in the country in total offense uh, on the year. And, that, and I'll tell you who was not in the top 50 in total offense this year, and that was the Auburn Tigers. Um, so I, I like the off the the hire of Philip Montgomery. I think he's he's got a and like you said, Hugh Freeze is a guy that's definitely going to have his fingerprints all over 
the uh, the offense. And so it's not just a, the Philip Montgomery's offense. It's Hugh Freeze combining with Philip Montgomery. They're going to be working together. Um, I think – do we know who's calling the plays? It, do they Has it been reported? When, uh, when Tom and I were on the show yesterday, we had a discussion about that. I still am not convinced it won't be Hugh Freeze, but apparently there are reports out there that Philip Montgomery is going to handle some of the play calling duties. I, I'm not sure – uh, it's not confirmed that hasn't been reported by multiple places, so I, I I don't know, but apparently it is more likely than I considered it to be that Philip Montgomery will be the play caller. And, you know, you, you look at what you know Hugh Freeze in his introductory press conference said there were guys out there that could help in different aspects and of the, the offense, and so this could be that uh, – that, uh, that situation where we, you know, Hugh Freeze calls certain plays in certain situations. Philip Montgomery uh, takes over in certain situations, um, and so you, you know, you know, we, we'll see what happens when that gets to that point. But that's down the road. That's after spring ball. That's when you get to fall camp. Who's, who's calling the plays? Uh, that's something to worry about there. But I think that Philip Montgomery. Uh, it, uh, offensively, I like him, and like you said, Ryan, he's got a pedigree of working with some good quarterbacks at Baylor. Um, he's got a uh, you, you look at his quarterbacks at even uh, Tulsa. There's not a lot of big names coming out of Tulsa, but if you watch their offense, their quarterbacks were very, very. Um, I'm trying to think of the word um, efficient. Efficient. That yeah, efficient. Thank you. Uh, they were very efficient at, at Tulsa, uh, and they, they put up big numbers there. And it, I, I think it, it's an offensive coordinator hire that can work with Hugh Freeze uh, working together. And then uh, Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator hired uh, from Baylor. Again, a lot of Baylor involved here in this uh, in these two hirings. Roberts uh, also was fired this year uh, from his post at Baylor, but had the year prior one of the best defenses in the country in 2021. So it seemed like a mixed bag these two years at Baylor. But I know overall the sentiment a little less in favor of Roberts. Not that it's neither good nor bad, just kind of like a, it is what it is higher. Uh, and I think it's the same for me. I don't think it's um, nearly as bad as – I. I I heard Todd Grantham's name for, for some god-awful <laughs> reason. I don't know why. Uh, I would not have been a huge fan of Derek Mason returning. Uh, I, I discussed on the show, I would not have been a huge fan of Barry Odom. Arkansas was 124th in defense this year. That's the league that Auburn plays in and the division Auburn plays in. <laughs> and uh, Arkansas was supposed to be a decent enough team this year. So that was a very poor defensive performance from Arkansas and Barry Odom this year. So I think those three I would have been less okay with. I think conversely, of course, I was attracted by Muschamp. Never really got that maybe interest was there from Muschamp. His name kind of died off pretty quickly in, in terms of that. Uh, I think a lot of people were would have been really excited about Travis Williams uh, from UCF, who's obviously been in Auburn. Um, and I would have been okay with that too. Uh, Arnett from Mississippi State got mentioned. He seemed like a finalist. Obviously, what's going on at Mississippi State uh, completely took him out if he was still under consideration at that moment, uh, which the hire was may all happen on Sunday. So if he was under consideration, it was all happening very fast. I, I don't know if, if Coach Leach had anything, if that really mattered at all there. Uh, and then I've discussed before my, my off-the-wall candidate, the guy not mentioned that I would have liked to have seen mentioned was Manny Diaz. So there, there was – Guys I felt would have been better, guys that would have felt worse. But overall, Brent, what were your thoughts on the coordinators? Yeah, the more you look at Ron Roberts, he has had some good years. He's had some bad years. Uh, and a lot of it falls to the personnel. What type of players does he get? And it's shocking how quickly it comes down to that. 
Um, but he is a big-time X's and O's guy. His scheme is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he creates a ton of turnovers. He, he is uh, – the best way I've heard it described, and I can't remember who said this or where I read it, but someone said Auburn has had a lot of bend-don't-break defenses over the years. This is not a bend-don't-break defense. This is a turn the ball over, get the ball back to the offense, stop the offense in the tracks, create negative plays, create havoc, break, break up the rhythm of an offense. Uh, you want to, He does a lot to make the offensive line think during the play. He does a lot to make the quarterbacks confused. Uh, he wants to try and add a lot of different looks so that you can slow down the offense by making them think. And if you can pull that off and you have the players to do it, uh, he's had a lot of success with it. So if he can get some good – you're going to have to get a lot of good players in here to pull that off. Um, the common thread seems to be when he's got a great nose tackle and he's got great outside linebackers. Uh, he calls them a jack. I think is is what he refers to them in their defense. But you need a good nose good nose tackle and two or three good jack linebackers, uh, and those guys are, are going to be your playmakers. And if you can get those players in here and get good players around them, uh, then you've got a chance to be a really good really good defense. I think something that helps, and I, I know you know, like you were saying with Roberts, it's it, it kind of people are kind of up and down with if they like him or not. I think one thing that helps his case is this year at Baylor. Uh, his defense, uh, you know, wasn't as good as it has been in the past, but he faced six of the top 50 offenses in total offense in the country in that conference this year. And when you've got experience going up against some of the, the most high-powered offenses in the sport, you come into this uh, this conference, which has uh, a couple more high-powered offenses. you got Alabama, who's always uh, seemed to be putting up points at will. You've got a team in, in the SEC that you're you know not necessarily playing every single year, but Tennessee looks like they're a team that, if, if they continue rolling along this path that Josh Heupel's got them on, they're a team that can put up points at will on anybody. When Jimbo Fisher's got his offense rolling, they can put up points. Uh, it, it looks like at points at, at certain times this year. LSU was a team that could put up points uh, uh, quite a bit. And then you've got you know great offensive minds in this conference. If you're bringing a defensive coordinator like Roberts that has the experience of going up against some of the better offensive minds in the country, it, it, it lends more favor that he's going to be able to figure things out. And especially, like you were saying, Brant, with, with getting personnel in here, I don't think Auburn's going to have a, any problem getting defensive personnel here. The Auburn's always, it, it seems like even when the offense is down, uh, everybody's talking about how, how the defense is good and they've got senior leadership on that defense. Roberts is going to be able to recruit defense here at Auburn, and especially with the backing of uh, the NIL stuff and uh, getting guys in the transfer portal, I don't think he's going to have any problem getting who he wants in here. Yeah, and going back through their their season, and I would really love to, to go figure out, again, how many returning uh, players they had off of the 2021 defense because that was such a good defense. It, it aided them immensely in winning a Big 12 championship. Um, you know, this year they had, they had clearly games that, they lost because of offense, and they had some games they lost because of defense. I mean, just point blank. They uh, The ironic thing here is if you had told someone, like, I don't know, a month ago, there's going to be a coordinator from Baylor at Auburn, you said, wow, they hired Jeff Grimes as the head coach. <laughs> they must yeah. have went down the list a few few rounds. Uh, and no, it's the uh, defensive coordinator. Now, this year, I mean, they had a game where they scored three points against Kansas State, uh, so kind of hard to play good enough defense to win there. They lost 31-3. Uh, they had games where they lost the second game of the year. They lost to BYU 26-20 in double overtime. Uh, but then they also had games where 
they gave up a lot of points. They gave up 38 to Texas. Not horrific, I guess, because Texas has a potent offense. But there you go. I mean, that's one. They lost to West Virginia. Probably the most unforgivable thing they did this year, 43-40. to So that's a bad defensive performance. Um, you know, gave up 36 to Oklahoma State. That's about what you would think you'd give up to Spencer Sanders. I mean, that's not good nor bad. Uh, gave up 17 to Texas Tech. That's good. 35 to Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, teetering, probably one touchdown too many. So they, they were a top 50 offense, though. Right. Gave up only 29 to TCU and the Which number two Heisman great. vote getter, Max Duggan. That's great. So, again, you can kind of cherry pick to form your own argument. Whatever side of the ball you want to fall on, they clearly had a couple games this year where they played really good defense. They either lost because of their offense or they won because of their defense. They clearly had a couple games where they gave up 38, 40 points, and that's too many. So, uh, I think the, the the thing is, though, and it's what you said, Brant, that I like the most, is that I'm ready for a defensive coordinator to be aggressive. Okay. Right, Auburn has had some bad defensive games in previous years because they were too passive, not rushing the passer. Uh, you know, Will Rogers has just completed his seventh straight touchdown drive <laughs> uh, in Jordan-Hare Stadium in my head. Good Lord. Um, and, and so – They've had some of those instances, and I just think that you you kind of make your own luck in that regard when you're blitzing the quarterbacks. Look, we all know if there's usually really good quarterbacks in this league. If you give them five seconds, they're going to find somebody. That That's how good receivers are. That's how good these quarterbacks are. It's how good skill position play is. You can't just sit there and defend for five, six seconds and just – always be great and and the also part of that too is i would say is that tackling is not as good as it used to be you're not as good at tackling one-on-one in space because well you don't tackle as much in practice that's a part of the culture everyone's scared of getting injured you hit harder now you, you just don't spend as much time fundamentally playing defense and tackling in practice as you used to so uh we've even had philip lolly on to, to say as such and so uh you've got rules against the defense all that to say all that to say is that I think creating turnovers, creating negative plays is the way you play good defense. And every team is going to get theirs on you. But when they don't get theirs, what happened? Did they get four Did they get four first downs and punt in the 40-yard line, flipping the field? Did they make a field goal still? Or did you turn them over? Did you make them go three and out because you sacked their quarterback on third six? You know, that, that sort of thing is – valuable to me and will this be a great higher time will tell because again i think it's a very much a fence sitting higher where you can make a good case and a bad case for it but again i will go back to montgomery i do like that higher we always would have been okay i think with whoever was hired because of freeze offensive acumen but they got a guy that has worked with a coach like freeze before as with art Bryles. i think that's an important part that's why i said i don't really care too much for the argument that um, you know, what uh, was Art Bryles doing that at Baylor? Okay, well, that's great because it's going to be Hugh Freeze doing it at Auburn, is, is all I would say to you. And so he's been used to working with that corner kind of dynamic before. So I think overall, look, I, I'd probably give it a B with the hirings. I don't think there's any home runs here like Hugh Freeze alluded to he might be able to get. But I also, I, I didn't get stuck with Mike Bobo and I didn't get stuck with Todd <laughs> Grantham. So it could have been worse. Oh, man. Imagine the react. Imagine the the show after Todd Golden gets announced as DC at Auburn. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right with the defense. 
this is a defense that is going to be very aggressive, and you're right. They're going to go after the ball, and they're going to try and get stuffs. They're not going to play five yards off and give up those 10-yard slants and try to make tackles and you know just try to get down to the red zone before they bow their necks. No, they're going to take risks. And the problem with taking risks is that occasionally you're going to get burnt. Auburn's going to give up some big plays playing this type of defensive style. Uh, but if you can execute it well enough, you're going to create a lot more of that havoc than you are getting burned on plays like that. So I I like the defense. Like you said, as with everything, time will tell. Everyone was over the moon about Derek Mason, and nobody wanted Kevin Steele. Uh, so we'll we'll see how, how it all works out. Because like head coaching, coordinating hires are a gamble. Let's go to our next break of the show today. When we come back, we will talk about all of this with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Grab his thoughts on the new coordinators at Auburn, Auburn basketball, again, football recruiting, just everything going on with Auburn football and basketball coming up on the other side of this timeout. This is the Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Dontry, Brooks Childress, with you here on this Tuesday afternoon, having fun talking about everything going on in the world of sports, including the world of Auburn. Busy time of year with recruiting and the transfer portal, the hiring of new coordinators, a lot to talk about. And that's why we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on to talk about all of that with us. Justin, I hope you are well. Thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing very well. And uh, let's start with what we were talking about on the other side of that break. Uh, A lot of people were starting to get antsy as the days clicked on without offensive and defensive coordinators for Auburn. And in the span of just a few short hours, really maybe an hour, uh, Auburn got both its offensive and defensive coordinators. So let's go through those, starting with Phil Montgomery. What did you think of this hire and his acumen dating back to his time at Baylor? Yeah, it's a really interesting hire because I think, you know, Hugh Freeze said in his opening press conference he was talking about, you know, potentially giving up play calling, you know, guys that he feel like felt like were great play callers and um you know, but when Phil Longo was uh, moved to went on to Wisconsin and it and it looked like some of the names that Auburn was linked to were more kinda like, you know, maybe position coaches and um that he would call plays. You know, it kind of faded that way, and then lo and behold, here they go and get Philip Montgomery. So Philip Montgomery spent the last eight years as a head coach at Tulsa. He had some good offenses there. It was up and down, but that's kind of life at a level like a the AAC when you play at a private school like Tulsa. Um, you know, his time at Baylor and, and even dating back to his time at Houston, uh, with it's just you know phenomenal uh, numbers, especially through the air. Um, you talk about Robert Griffin, the third Heisman uh, career or Heisman season there, he was a play caller. Then Bryce Petty's two years after that were excellent. Um, just really high 
uh, you know, high efficiency, super explosive offenses. So getting him back into that role is going to be very, very interesting because he obviously has gotten a, an awesome track record at that. Um, and, you know, I do think that you, you don't really need to compare what he did at Tulsa as much um, because it's just head coach is a completely different ball game. But some really good numbers there uh, at times at Tulsa. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I think Phil Montgomery and Hugh Freeze have similar philosophies on what they want to do on offense, especially when it comes to throwing the ball down the field. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see just kind of how the, how the play calling shakes out and, um, you know, kind of how they're able to marry it together. Because I, I do think Phil Montgomery, if you go back to his days at Baylor and his days in Houston and some of the stuff he did at Tulsa, these are really, really good, efficient offenses. And then on the defensive side of the ball, to continue with the Baylor flavor, but more recently, Auburn hires Ron Roberts. Not a guy that I think as many people maybe were keenly aware of or aware of as being the top of the list, uh, but he's been around the sport for a long time. And, Ferg, you did a film room on him on the Auburn Observer. So what stood out uh, to you about him? Yeah, no, Ron Roberts is a guy that has been very innovative uh, for the last couple of decades as a uh, defense coordinator. He's just been at very small schools. Uh, Baylor is the biggest job he had. Uh, and, you know, they had an awesome defense last season, one of the best in the country. This year had to replace five guys that were NFL draft picks, some other pieces that they missed, and it just didn't really click. They felt to be in just kind of a middle-of-the-road defense overall uh, last year. And um, Dave Aranda decided to part ways and make some changes um, because, you know, that's what Dave Miranda's kind of done during his time at Baylor is just, you know, he, he fired a whole offensive staff basically after one year um, because things weren't going well. So he, it's kind of a click on the trigger there. But, you know, Ron Roberts has done an excellent job at being an innovator, an X's and O's guy. And that's something that Free said in his opening press conference that he was wanting his defensive coordinator to be. you got to be really smart with the X's and O's. Um, and that is Ron Roberts, man. He's got a track of being very, very innovative in the amount of different types of um, plays he calls, defensive fronts, coverages. I mean, some of everything is an aggressive defense. Um, it, it builds on, hey, we're going to try to create havoc as much as possible uh, is, is the goal, and that's what they did a really good job of at Baylor uh, in 2021. Uh, and he's also a, an innovator of uh, what is called kind of the creepers quarterback pressures, which is basically – um, you simulate that you're sending a blitz, uh, and you end up sending people, uh, you know, blitzing, but you drop other guys back into coverage. So, you know, it can look like you're about to send six or seven, but you only send four, and it's still quite as effective. Um, as sending that many just because you can do a bunch of coverages behind it. Um, and he, he's kind of on the forefront of that. If you ever watch Georgia play defense, Georgia runs a ton of creeper stuff. Dave Aranda obviously runs a ton of it from his time at LSU and at Baylor. So he's an innovator. He is, he's a guy who's got an influence on a lot of defensive coaches in college football and beyond. Um, you know, Pete Golding, Alabama's defensive coordinator, was on his staff. Carl Scott, who's with the Seahawks now. Uh, was on his staff, Florida's defensive coordinator once shot in room. So he is, he's kind of been like the pro, you know, he, he's got a lot of protégés in college football uh, and beyond. Uh, and this will be his best job yet because, you know, this is going to be the most talent he's ever worked with. And I'm very interested to see what kind of X's and O's, um, you know, he can kind of marry with what Auburn's got, you know, on the defensive side. So, Justin, you know, Auburn, Hugh Freeze has got the coordinators out of the way. What do you think uh, Hugh Freeze and the staff now do with some of the rest of the, the holes that need to be filled on the coaching staff? Yeah, it sounds like really all they got to get now is a wide receivers coach. You know, you got a running backs coach, a tight ends coach, an offensive line, defensive line. 
get your linebackers. You got two defensive backs. You got uh, coaches, and you got a um, you know you've also got a defense coordinator. So uh, really, wide receivers and figuring out who's going to be in charge of special teams is kind of it uh, left here for for Auburn. So be interesting to see who they end up getting uh, wide receiver coach, but. I do think Philip Montgomery's kind of background uh, with the type of offenses that he's run uh, and also Hugh Freeze's background, I think, opens themselves up to get some guys who have very like-minded things uh, with them at wide receiver. It's just going to be a matter of kind of nailing it down. But uh, Auburn's done a good job of recruiting, um, you know, with a a building staff, um, kind of a budding staff right now. So I think you'll start to see the ball rolling here a little bit more when it comes to transfer guys and, and trying to close close up some some ground with uh, recruits and stuff like that. So it's going to be a busy next couple of months for sure. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next, Justin, because obviously everyone wants to know how Auburn's going to get the sheer number of players that they need to kind of build back some of that depth that had been depleted in the last couple of years, just the sheer knowledge of being behind in recruiting, only having a dozen or so commits compared to some schools having 20-plus. And, and so for what you've seen so far here in this first week plus of recruiting and and contacting all these kids and, and visiting, are you liking what you're seeing momentum wise with what Auburn's doing out in the recruiting trail? Yeah, they've they've got an opportunity. They've got an opportunity to um, make up some ground here pretty quickly. Um, I think they they're in the mix for a number of guys that would be candidates. Um, at the high school ranks and the JUCO ranks uh, that are, or even guys who are committed elsewhere at other places around. But they, they've done a really, really good job, I think, of keeping themselves in the hunt. When you talk about, you know, they're still in the hunt for the five stars from Carver Montgomery, all those kids from um, Langston Hughes up in the Atlanta area. Auburn's still got a shot at all of them. They could be flipping Ohio State uh, cornerback commitment. They could be flipping a JUCO commitment from South Carolina at offensive tackle, which is what they absolutely need. Um, you know, there's just there's a lot of momentum here um, for, for Auburn, and they're not going to rack up and get a ton of guys and, and go crazy, I don't think. Um, but I think they are going to be in a position to to get closer to what we would expect as like a, a full-size recruiting class and then go into the transfer portal and try to fill in as much as possible. So, you know, the roster won't be completely remade in this first year, in this first cycle by any means, but I think they're in a better position uh, right now than they were, you know, a few months ago when it comes to attacking uh, things, you know, in the transfer portal. And um It'd be very interesting to see because there's some big name dudes out there um, that Auburn could go out and get uh, in the high school ranks, and then uh, you know, of course, there's seems to be um, some mutual interest um, for Auburn and Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. I mean, you talk about a needle moving type of quarterback, that would be that would be him. So uh, this roster could flip a little bit quicker than people expected, um, and that's that's what you get when you get a guy like Hugh Freeze who has a recruiting background in the southeast. And when you have something like the transfer portal where you can give guys a lot of opportunities early. Ferg, let's uh, turn our attention over to basketball. Not the best showing from Auburn in Atlanta uh, over the weekend. Uh, When you look at that game, the thing that stood out to me was uh, Auburn gave up over 40 points in the paint, uh, and they're supposed to be one of the better interior defensive teams in the country. How did that happen, and how does Auburn fix it going forward? Yeah, no, uh, Memphis had a great game plan in this game. Uh, they knew Auburn really relies on its its rim protection, and what Memphis did was they um, you know spread the floor with kind of a, a smaller uh, front court, uh, and you know kind of took Auburn's guys away from the basket. 
in that man-to-man scheme and just made one-on-one plays, um, you know, in pick and rolls. Uh, Auburn just did not play a good defensive game. I thought the execution of the game plan was not very good. I thought the adjustments Auburn had just didn't really happen. Um, you know, too too little, too late um, when it came to making defensive adjustments. And I think on top of it, it was just just not very good effort and energy. This Auburn team, as Bruce Pearl says a lot, like this Auburn team's got to play you know all out for 40 minutes to beat good teams. And Memphis is a good team. They did not play all out for all 40 minutes, and that's why you lose that game. Um, you know, Auburn Auburn's an offensively challenged team. They're not going to light you up on a consistent basis just because of how the roster is made up. Boy, they can be one of the best defensive teams in the country if they're locked in all 40 minutes. And 73 points against Memphis should have been enough to win. fact is, they gave up 82, and that's just not going to get it done. Uh, this Auburn team is just going to have a harder time doing that, especially against a good team like Memphis. So, um, you know, I think it's just make adjustments quicker. I think Bruce Pearl has talked about getting his guys in to, you know, buy into correcting the mistakes and taking ownership and responsibility of what went wrong against Memphis and clean it up. I don't expect Auburn to look like that on defense every single night, um, but they do. They have given uh, – teams are going to be able to look at what Memphis did and say, hey, we can do some of that. You know, We're going to be able to do some of that and try to try to limit Auburn's effectiveness. So they got to make the adjustments. they got to learn those lessons. And they, most importantly, it's just you know everybody touches the floor for Auburn's got to play hard for all 40 minutes. And if they don't, um, things can go kind of haywire. If they do, I think they can beat pretty much anybody they go up against. So – you know that's that's got to be a that's got to be a challenge for them moving forward. Auburn does have Georgia State inside of Neville Arena tomorrow, but then they go on the West Coast trip at Southern Cal and at Washington. Two games that really intrigue me for just because we don't see Auburn go out that way very often. We've seen them travel, we've seen them go to some neutral site tournaments and that sort of thing, uh, but going out to California and Washington, not something you see every day. So rate the difficulty and the challenge that Auburn will have in those two basketball teams. Yeah, I don't think either of these teams are as good as as Memphis is, um, but I think they're pretty solid. I think they're on the level of like a, like a Northwestern or maybe a Brad or uh, St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis is probably a little bit better than that. So, yeah, around around a Northwestern kind of level team um, in terms of what Auburn's going to get. Like, you just got to win those two games by any means necessary. You know, on the road, in, you know, in Pac-12 country and unfamiliar territory, uh, you got to just get it how you can. Uh, I think USC is a step above Washington this this season. Uh, they got Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson, guys who play a ton of basketball, um, you know, so those guys are they're going to be ready, and so I think it's going to be one of those things for Auburn where they're going to show how much they learn their lessons from the Memphis game and step up. I think tomorrow night against Georgia State, they shows they can they can show that they cleaned up a lot of that. Um, but yeah, this is you know these are going to be you know if Auburn goes two and zero on this on this road trip out west, that's a, that's a big time success. Um, you know Auburn will be favored in both of those games, but by no means are either of those guaranteed just because you're playing power five teams with some experience away from home he's justin ferguson of the auburn observer uh justin we again we alluded to the film room with ron roberts what else do you have going on at the observer and why should people subscribe yeah so you got the ron roberts film room today um you know we've got coverage of basketball that'll be happening all throughout the week and next week a mailbag coming out on friday I'm going to do a story on kind of Philip Montgomery's offensive background and kind of some of the numbers and how they mesh 
uh, with Hugh Freeze and kind of what you might expect from Auburn moving forward. So it's going to be a whole lot of breakdowns, a whole lot of analysis on football and basketball. We've also got a scholarship chart, roster tracker, where you can keep track of everything going on, guys coming and going um, on the roster. You can you know sign up for that. If you're a subscriber, you can you can get access to it. It's just six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year to subscribe and uh, yeah it's the easiest thing to do just sign up there once you pay your money you are in and uh, everything we do gets sent to the email inbox whether it's a newsletter or our podcast which we do twice a week Justin, I appreciate you answering my uh, tr- uh, my question in the mailbag last week about grocery store mm-hmm. items compared to uh, restaurant items. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a really good one. And I had to think about that one for a while because um, you know I, I, I did, but you did have a very good suggestion on there. Um, but yeah, that, that's the that's that's a that's a that's a really untapped market i think that people don't think about as much um but you know you can you know if you're you're cheap like i am you can you can find some decent decent meals out of it justin well we appreciate the time as always we hope you have a great holiday season and we appreciate you joining the show again today absolutely thank you guys that's justin ferguson of the auburn observer here on the tuesday edition of sports call we need to take our final break of hour number two we'll wrap up hour number two after this timeout Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Final couple minutes of hour number two today. Ryan LaVoy, Brian Dotfried, Brooks Childress with you here. On this Tuesday evening now, sun's down. We transition from afternoon to evening. We appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for coming on and chatting with us about coordinators, about recruiting, and about Auburn basketball. All great topics here for a fine middle of December day. If you missed that interview... Go back and check it out because the Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola tastes the feeling. I enjoy a nice vanilla Coke uh, today, and uh, I taste the feeling quite often as uh the coat family products i highly recommend you want to go find that sports call podcast it's available on soundcloud stitcher google play itunes apple podcast spotify tune in and of course our app the tiger communications app just a minute or so left in the show good interview with ferg and you asked him a question on the mailbag. I did, and I wanted to ask you the same thing because you're me and you share i like food i'm gonna say me and you share a very uh good love of food yes um if you know you're at the grocery store you uh, you peruse around what's your favorite uh restaurant brand thing that is in the grocery store that is you know branded like uh you know like i might have some strong recency bias for you okay i had a california pizza kitchen okay. pizza last night and they're a little smaller than i usually get red baron or or mm-hmm. di uh, yes, I get a lot of different types of frozen pizza, folks. Um, 
and I think the taste of it is as good as any uh, frozen pizza for sure. And I, I always know that in Birmingham, there's a California pizza kitchen kind of near the uh, Galleria and would go there a decent amount whenever we were down that way. What about uh, you? I don't know. I, there's there's so many different like things. I know um, the Cheesecake Factory has like the little individual um, – you know, little individual pieces of cheesecake things that you can get. Those are pretty good. I don't, I don't remember how. I've only had Cheesecake Factory like once, and so I don't know how they compare to um, the in in the in the store. Uh, fiance Grace just texted me and said TGI Fridays anything, and that was the example yeah. I gave to Ferg in the question. Was TGI Their Fridays? Their wings are really good when I get them out of the frozen section. But does it? How does it compare to like when you're in the restaurant? Is it? Like oh no, it's close? not as good as in the restaurant. How no. close is it? Like. Would you say like 80%, 70% there? Can I be honest? Yeah. I haven't been to TGI Fridays in years, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the TGI Fridays on 280 in Birmingham closed when I was in high school. You know what's really good? And this is going to be off the wall thing. You know what's really good and like it hits its spot on is Olive Garden Croutons. Yes. The Olive Garden Croutons that you buy in the store in the bags is the, the exact same that you're getting at the restaurant. Very no much difference. so. Because Olive Garden Croutons... When you get, see, that's a new word. Oh, I didn't think about that. We might have to come back to this too, <laughs> because well, you know how much I love wing sauces. Yeah, and they sell the Buffalo Wild Wings, yeah. Beefo Brady's. Uh, yeah, they sell all that kind of stuff. Taco Bell sauce, even like Taco I don't Bell think cheese. I've ever had Mexican food at my house without <laughs> Taco Bell sauce. So I don't, you know, California Pizza Kitchen is a placeholder. We'll bring Brant in on the discussion maybe in hour number three as well. And we will get more food because I love food. We'll mix food with sports somehow. We'll think of it. Out of time for hour number two. More sports call coming up after this timeout. As you listen to the Tuesday edition of Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three getting underway of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontree, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon, we've had a lot of fun. Just talked to Justin Ferguson on the other side of uh, hour number two. Had a good chat with him. We've been talking all things Auburn basketball, Auburn football, and we have some more news on Auburn football in just a moment. But first, in case you're just joining us, here's what you missed so far. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. <sighs> Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, 
Can you repeat the part of this stuff where you said all about the things? Brant, I turn to you, my friend. What have we done so far today? Uh, well, what have we... Well, Not uh, turned on a mic. That's Yeah, that's thing. what we've was, uh, talked into a dead mic. That's what we've done so far in the third hour. Uh, first hour... Come we, on, uh, board up. Yeah, we had a lot of phone calls, and uh, we kind of... Uh, had a, I guess, our version of an in memoriam for Mike Leach and obviously an icon of the sport of college football, uh, passing away at the far too early age of 61. And uh, that, that was our first uh, 15 or 20 minutes of the show was us just t- telling our favorite uh, Mike Leach quotes and stories. And I, I don't believe anybody in this room has ever had the pleasure of meeting him. But, uh, you know, he was a, a larger than life figure and, uh, you know, it has his fingerprints all over the sport of football. And, uh, so many stories about what a what a man he was, and then in hour number two, we talked to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, our uh, weekly Tuesday guest. He came through, and or, uh, we called him on the phone and talked about uh, the new coordinators that Auburn has hired, and uh, Philip Montgomery and uh, Rob. I can never remember Ron Roberts. Roberts. Ron Roberts. Thank you. My goodness, I I do that all the time, and frankly, if I'm going to do this for a living, I need to get better at that. <laughs> I've been here for like a year and a half now. You think I'd have it down? That's right, Brent. Brand, Brandon, 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 yeah, Brent, Brandon, Brant. Great job, brooms. <laughs> there you go. All all names I have answered to before in my lifetime for one reason or another mm. uh, that are not my real name. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, it loaded first two hours of the show. If you have not heard the first two other shows, if you're just joining us now, Ryan. I don't know which one of these pieces of paper has the writing on it, so I'm going to let you find out. <laughs> it's this one. Okay, it's this one. <laughs> You can listen to it. you can listen to the first two hours on the Sports Call podcast. Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live, if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Enjoy an ice cold Coca Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca Cola, Coca Cola, Coca Cola. I'd, I'd be down. I'm a Coke guy. I'm from Georgia. Uh, sports. The Sports Call podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and our Tiger Communications app, which you can find on uh, any app store. So there you go. You can hear uh, our lovely usage of uh, Brant's name in different varieties. If you go back and listen to that, if you just tune I'm in fairly certain ago. there are people who have known me for over a decade that still think my name is Grant. <laughs> I like I. That's that's probably true. Uh, Doctor Alan Grant. Hey, there you go. That's <laughs> great. That's a great one though. Uh, but now we move forward in the program. Again, one hour left to go today. And news coming for Auburn here just a few minutes ago. I think it actually happened while we were talking to Justin Ferguson. Connor Liu, a four-star slash three-star offensive lineman, depending on who you ask, has decommitted from Miami and committed to Auburn University. So 247 has him as a four-star player, the number 16 interior offensive lineman in the country, but his 247 composite has him down as the number 40 interior offensive lineman and a uh, three-star overall ranked 517 nationally. Uh, Still one of the better offensive linemen, though, that Auburn will have gotten higher ranked than that three-star offensive tackle that decommitted from Texas Tech, for example, uh, the other day and committed to Auburn. So Auburn getting another offensive lineman. We asked her about recruiting momentum. That's something a lot of people want to know about. And Auburn not getting those blue chip guys just yet, but Lou, a quality get. Absolutely. You know, I've watched a, a little bit of film on him. And, you know, his highlights are not going to be, you know, his full game film. But from watching his highlights, he understands hand placement well. He uses leverage. He's not just out there being the biggest and strongest guy on the field, even though he certainly is, and that helps a lot. 
But uh, he's quick to be as big as he is. He's about 6'3", 280, uh, according to the various sites. And I like the kid. He's nasty. He's mean. He knows how to finish blocks, and that's important to me. Uh, I, I think this kid's going to be pretty good. Some people are saying he could be an early contributor. Uh, I, I think it, you know, I've said over and over again, I don't want true freshmen starting at the collegiate level on the offensive line or at quarterback. I think those are the two positions where you simply cannot have or shouldn't have it unless you have a kid who's just incredibly special. And I don't think Lou is going to be that kid, but I think he could start uh, in his second or third year here at Auburn if he if he just adjusts to the game a little bit it's a good pickup and it, like you said it's momentum it is it is picking up as we move forward and uh, you know it, Auburn expects to pick up a couple of more kids uh, in this cycle for sure and uh, Brooks I want to turn back to you because before the hour ended we were talking about uh, a fun subject you brought up an offensive lineman uh, they certainly know how to eat Can't and yeah. at 280 pounds might want to get you know, another 10 to 20 pounds on there. I know interior, I know center is not necessarily needs to be your, your biggest. Usually it's your guards. But, um, you know, we could you stand to add a few, a few more pounds on him. So, Brooks, again, what, what question did you pose uh, before the hour ended? And uh, let Brant chime in here since he missed it. Uh, just what uh, what do you have in mind there? So last week I brought this up uh, in the Ferg interview because I asked him he was – uh, every week when he does a mailbag for the Auburn Observer, uh, one, it's all great content, no matter what the question is. He Amen. puts a lot of thought into every question. But he tweeted out, said, as the tradition uh, continues, I'm walking into a grocery store right now, so send me your questions. And I immediately thought, well, you know what? You're walking into the grocery store, so I'm going to ask you this question. You walk into the grocery store, what is the best restaurant brand food or item that is in the grocery store. So, like, I gave him the example. You can walk to the freezer section to get, like, the TGI Fridays, like, appetizers in the, in the freezer section that are also, like, on the menu in the restaurants, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Can I confess to something? Yeah. I've never eaten those. That's fine. I mean, I've never, you, I've never eaten the like the the restaurant affiliated freezer. You've never section had thing. any of them. Like none, of, nothing. Not not one that was affiliated with like a, a restaurant brand. Not like a TGI Fridays or a PF Changs or whatever. N- nothing at no. all. Like you know, not gotten, not like, in my memory. Chick Fil A. All right, well, uh, uh, it's like excluded the, from the conversation. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally useless. I wow. I buy my chicken from Purdue. I buy my frozen pizzas from like DiGiorno or whatever. You've um, never gotten like the like he's so he, he talked about California Pizza Kitchen pizzas. You never gotten one of those. I've never gotten one of those. Wow. So let me give you a couple other things. Freshetta is my frozen pizza. I do like Freshetta. Phenomenal brand. Uh, Sponsor us. You just give me a frozen (laughs) pizza brand, and I'll give you an opinion because I eat them all because that's what I do. But anyway, um, I grew up in a Totino's household. (laughs) Those were really good when you're younger. We called them party pizzas. I don't know why, but they were good. Um, So the couple of others I thought of, I wouldn't put them high on the list, but just things you can get. Uh, you can get the checkers slash rallies fries, which Ooh. are are solid. Ooh. And I mean, you you air fry them, or, or even if you put them in the oven, I mean, they come out very similar to what you get in the uh, in the drive through. So they're very loyal, I guess, to the the restaurant. Um, you can get you mentioned. I don't. Maybe you mentioned this too. If you did, I apologize. I, I started just getting hung up on it. The Olive Garden croutons. Well, they sell the Olive Garden Italian dressing. That's correct too. Well, which is quite good, and yeah, that one's like right there too, with like almost as I would, maybe it is as as good as it as it is in the in the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really see how it's not. I mean, salad dressing is 
famously not warm yeah it's always gonna be it's always gonna be chilled or, or that you know maybe closer to room temperature but it's not gonna be warm <laughs> i hope not uh and so you kind of get it to you know what it is in the store i think that's maintained pretty well i was trying to think of other tgi fridays appetizers i think i've had uh cheese sticks before again the, the it, loaded potato skins Yes, because I think I had one with my parents one time. They were doing a bunch of apps for a college football Saturday. The the thing is, though, that, that disrupts me there is I can't compare them as much to the restaurant because, again, it's been years. True. Like very much plural years since I've had TGI Fridays. I need to use my air fryer more. We're talking about like all these Gosh, things that you can fryer. put. They're so good, and I just neglect to use mine in favor of like an oven or a microwave. Yeah, my dad loves his air fryer. Uh, there's like an 82% chance that right now, as they listen to the show, <laughs> dad is in the kitchen on using the air fryer. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's about I think they sell Arby's fries. They do. I've um, had those. I don't think they're as good, though, because you put them in the oven, well. and they're, yeah. not, they're not fried. I wonder if you put them in an air fryer if it would work, though, if Maybe closer. Maybe. Um, the hot sauce thing that you got me on, um, those all taste pretty loyal. I, I've, had, I've had Hooters sauce before. I've had... Uh, I mean, several Buffalo Wild Wings, spicy you, garlic. And, I'm gonna say, you know what I'll say about Buffalo Wild Wings, the sauces you buy in the store? It, it feels like, and I may be wrong, that the I, I'm a big uh, Parmesan garlic fan. Mm-hmm. It feels like that one is thicker in the bottle than it is at the store. Uh, and like, you go to Buffalo Wild Wings, sit down, get the get the Parmesan garlic wings. Interesting. It feels like it's a th- really? thicker consistency in the bottle. Because I feel like Buffalo Wild Wings garlic Parmesan is pretty thick in the restaurant. Like, that's that's a... That's a weighty sauce. It is. I feel, but it, it feels thicker though, hmm. and it may just be because I'm not like coating it, and I'm just like when I get chicken, I'm putting it on the plate and I'm dipping it, like get, dipping chicken nuggets into it instead of like having it coated in chicken nugget, like coated in a, like a boneless wing or a traditional wing. Right. Um, I found a list though uh, on Eat This Not That dot com. Okay. Our good friends of uh, brands. Uh, I was trying to look. And I don't know if there's any sauces on here besides the uh, the Olive Garden Italian dressing, which is just phenomenal stuff in general. Um, but we can uh, we can get to some of those brands in just a little bit. Uh, Mom just texted uh, very simple message. Yep. <laughs> so uh, save some for us. Let's go on the Lavoy household. Um, I, I've had the Beef O'Brady's hot sauces too. Oh, dude, I haven't thought about Beef O'Brady's in years. I mean, yeah, I, there I, there used to be one in my hometown, and it got remodeled into an O'Charlie's, and I haven't thought about it since. Yeah, there was there was apparently one in Auburn, and before we got to college here, mm-hmm. and um, so it's probably been a decade now because it was already gone when I was eighteen and a freshman, and now I'm twenty six and. Larger than I was as a freshman, but still without Beef O'Brady. So uh, we don't have one of those there, but we've had, we have multiple in Birmingham. Have that many times. That's good. You got something else, Brooke? I was going to say I was before. Uh, I was going to let you finish your sauce talk. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, yeah. I was telling Brant uh, a moment ago. Eat this dot uh, com. Eat this not that. 
uh, has a list of like 15 restaurant branded groceries. And I'm not I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to go through like stuff that would be local to here. So like I know on here they've got the White Castle sliders in the yeah. freezer section, but like we don't have a White Castle around yep. here. We don't have a Benihana around here. So uh, it's so they've got the Krispy Kreme bites. I don't know if you've ever had those. Uh, they're prepackaged. That are, uh, yeah, they're not as good no. as a restaurant because they're yeah. older. Like it, it's days older than you're yep. you're getting them. Um, so I wouldn't say that that's as good. Red Lobster Cheddar Bay biscuits. Like you can you mm. make the biscuit mix. I me this is a this is a a, a contentious between me and my fiance Grace Uh-oh. because Hopefully she, she tuned it out. Now. She likes the the ones that we make in the box better really but i than the restaurant yeah uh but when i go to the restaurant and eat them i like the restaurant made ones a lot better than the ones at that you make out of the uh the mix i don't know if i've ever had them at home but just thinking about what they taste like at red lobster they're very like salty garlicky yeah they've got a lot of uh seasoning it's like a in that way butter on that they put on top of so i don't know if that has something to do with it it, it and I think it's like it's the the ones in the restaurant you get they're really small, and when you're you know when you're controlling your own portion size you can make the biscuits however <laughs> big you want. So we yeah. make you know pretty big biscuits, and so maybe you don't get as much coverage with the with the butter mixture on the bigger ones as the smaller ones. I don't know. Maybe they brush it on and we you know I don't know. But I I, I prefer the restaurant ones of that one. Um, I've had some of the PF Chang's like freezer section stuff. Not a big fan of it. Really, not a big fan of it. You know, I, I've I've had other brands of Asian food. Yeah, uh, in the the free frozen section, like Taipei and some other stuff. But I I've not had. I don't think I've had. Pe- it's because I I am lazy ultimately, and I don't want to have to like put it in a pan and <laughs> flip it and sear. I, that, I, that's I, the biggest thing. I'm a lazy it's guy. So I just it, it's just too involved for what it is. If it was. If I was making something fresh, it'd be different. But also, I'm just not a cook, so I'm not I'm not like my father, who's again probably flipping something <laughs> in a pan beside the air fryer right now. Um, and I, I can I put another one on there yeah. that might already be on the list: the Jim and Nick's uh, biscuit mix. Have you oh, gotten that? I better say that's not. On, I guess that's these it's are like probably more too local brands. Yeah, yeah but Jim have, and Nick's. Have you ever done that? At yeah, home? Dad did last year. Okay. Ish. How did it compare? And it was very close. Okay. I would say I would say it was ninety percent oh. of the restaurant. The restaurant to, was ten percent better, but it was uh, there's a stop. it was very close. Yeah. Uh, we're not big. I don't think any of us are big coffee people in the studio right now. I no, uh, neither was no. Mike Leach. <laughs> Uh, but you've got you know, you've got the Dunkin' coffee that you can get in the store, and you've also got Starbucks, the little Starbucks drinks that you can get mm-hmm. in the store. I don't know how those compare to it. Um, oh, so I've had the Starbucks a few times. That was actually the one thing I would drink. Um, so like the Frappuccino drinks? Yes, exactly. Uh, they're excessively expensive, shocker. <laughs> and they're okay, but you know they're not worth $4 a bottle. Th- three or four dollars bottle which that's is what so, they are that's so much yeah and they might be worse than that because i've not shopped for it intentionally in a while so they could be in the fives by now honestly so they're pretty absurd but but uh they were fine and they i don't know i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say i had starbucks enough to to know how close they were but i it was something i was willing to drink of which m- very many coffee products i'm not Oh, I, I forgot about this one. You've got the the, and it, it doesn't really compare because there's not really this product at the store. 
but you've got the freezer bars of ocean water and cherry limeade from Sonic, like the popsicles. I don't oh. think I've ever had that, but like I'm looking at it, it looks good. It looks it, like something I would have enjoyed as a it, young man. But it's like you don't get, you can't go and get a popsicle at at Sonic. So right, like this that's is just a brand. That's, that's like a slushy. And I would say that I'm a big ocean water guy when I go to when I go to Sonic. Um, and I, it's I, it feels like the 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 popsicle, if I remember correctly, is a lot sweeter than it like than the actual drink at the restaurant because there's more sugar in it. At, in the popsicle I, form. I had ocean water one time and I did enjoy it. Uh, again, at Sonic. 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 <laughs> Sonic. So we're very clear ocean on water. that. We're not talking about enjoying ocean water from the actual <laughs> ocean, but uh, that'll kill you if you enjoy it enough. Yeah. I don't know how much you'd enjoy it. Yeah, if you partake well. in it too much. All right. Well, you still got a couple more on the list, or is that? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, okay. everything else is kind of like a brand that we don't have in this area. Boston Market, P.F. Chang. What was your ultimate favorite one? I think my, I mean, it's going to be, you know, I, I think my ultimate favorite is that the, you get the closest is the Olive Garden accessories, I guess you would call it. The the yeah. croutons and the, the salad but dressing. It, really, answer me this. How hard is it to get a crouton right? You know, because I feel like it is just a, a bread chunk. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like you got to get the seasoning right. Like That's the Parmesan, right. I'll buy that. Parmesan I'll buy crust that. in there. But some croutons don't have a lot of seasoning. True, but the Olive Gardens do. That I mean, yeah. So. But so I'm sorry, I was. I, I said the, the kind of the Olive Garden accessories is probably okay. the best. That's fair. I mean, they're very true to the product. And the last thing I'll add, and then we'll get to the Auburn Make Fun line, is it is it more of a risk than you realize to make your product? in the store and put it out in stores because let me just let me just float this by what if it's not the quality you want it to be that's true. what if it is truly better prepared fresh that's true therefore people that have never had your product before or don't remember it that well then have it in the store and they say that's not as good as i remember that's or true. that's not worth going through i don't see what all the hype's about i guess conversely you say the reason you do it is you reach other people more conveniently maybe hook them on it but it is a bit of a bet because if you don't get it perfectly right or true to your own self and then also if you sell it and at home it might be easier for people to duplicate too i'll say that i had that experience because the pf chang's i I tried i've had pf chang's once but i did not get this product Mm -hmm. and i got the honey chicken and i'm like this isn't that great uh, and there's other brands of honey chicken out there in the freezer section that I like better. But like the P.F. Chang's one I got, I'm like, this isn't, you know, this is a little pain to prepare. There bit. you go. 334-887-341, locally toll-free, 1-888-9-TIRE-9. And join us on the show today. Let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line. Next up, Daryl from Auburn. Daryl joins us. Daryl, how are you doing? Fine. I'm appreciating the food segment part of your show. Yeah, we mixed it up a little bit today. We kind of came off of an interview uh, that uh, that Brooke, that we just had with Justin Ferguson in hour number two, and and he does fun mailbags, and Brooks asked him a fun food question, so he posed that food question to us. Okay. Well, I, I've got two segments or two topics to relate to that same area topic um, conversation. Excuse me. Sure. Um, yeah. I, all, uh, my kids used to go to Chuck E. Cheese in Columbus, Georgia, for birthday parties, et cetera, et cetera. Have you ever eaten a Chuck E. Cheese pizza? Yeah, oh uh, a long time ago, though. I mean, I was probably I don't know. Did 10. you remember it being a very delicious pizza? 
I I have memories of loving Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. but like like Ryan said, it's been a decade or so since I have been to a Chuck E. Cheese. Well, they used to have one in Columbus where my daughters were growing up. They're all between 19 and 27. But it's all about the play structures and the activities and the little games. But I hate Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Why would I buy it? And they have it in the frozen fashion of a Chuck E. Cheese pizza. And that's just my opinion. I don't know. If maybe people like Chuck E. Cheese pizza, but... If I didn't like it at the restaurant, why would I buy it in the frozen section? Well, I, I, w- I, I agree with you. I think that probably why people would buy it is they asso- they attach Chuck E. Cheese pizza to good memories, like from when they are younger. And so, like for me, because I've not had it in years, I don't really remember what it tastes like. I think I liked it because I just kind of remember I had good times at Chuck E. Cheese. But well, I, it's probably at a birthday party right, or something. <laughs> right. But I have no idea if I remember liking it. So people might have some sentimentality towards it or some positive sentiment where they're like, oh, yeah, let me try this. And then maybe they'll discover they don't really like it. But uh, I assume it has to do with just not having had it in a long time. Well, I haven't had it in 15 years, and I'm okay with that. Sure. <laughs> sure. And then I see it in the grocery store. It's like, I hated it then. Why should I buy it in the frozen food section? And I'll just get a, like you said, a DiGiorno or Freshetta or sure. That's what we Red go Baron for. Red Baron isn't as good, but um, oh, you know. see there, I like Red Baron, man. That that's one of my favorites. But it's all right. I like Freshetta and DiGiorno too. But anyway, on the second topic, I appreciate you having this conversation or bringing it up. I've been just scratching my head because my oldest daughter. You know, she's just hard to buy for. And y'all brought up the Dunkin' Donuts, which my middle daughter used to work at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm not going to get her that coffee because it probably brings back bad memories because she she's worked there. <laughs> but they all love Starbucks. I was like, oh, great. I know what I'm going to get them. You know, I usually get them several small gifts, you know, uh, Ferrero chocolates and then maybe a throw and then my middle daughter, I want to get her a lava lamp. Her old one broke, you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, but you brought up a topic. It's like, that's what I'll get. My oldest daughter is a Starbucks coffee mug slash coffee, you know, and, um, I, you know, and usually I give them a silver dollar from my grandfather's estate, you know, and then whatever cash I have. So, you know, I appreciate your topic of conversation, and uh, we're all listening, you know, and we digress, but I think you guys do a great time. You know, at 25 and 530, it's kind of slow for you guys, so I just want to interject. <laughs> well, we appreciate you listening and calling us, Daryl, and uh, we we glad we could have some entertaining entertaining segments today. No, that's fine. That's fine. And then um, it's saddening about uh, Coach Leach, you know, but, you know, we sort of have to move on, you know. But uh, he was, I don't know, I didn't know his coaching style, but, you know, he's definitely a name I've heard for the last 25, 30 years, you know. And, and it's great that we have an offensive line, Is what do you call a four-star commit from yes. Miami? Yes. Decommitted from and Miami, then, came to Auburn, yep. And maybe that'll, you know, it's just like anything else. Maybe that'll bring the attention and transfer portal to, you know, people are judging uh, Freeze for his character initially. And then the hiring of 
the coordinators, that, everything falls in place, you know, and we haven't even gotten past uh, the first of the year, you know, so people just have to be, you know, I say at the restaurant when uh, I have hostile customers waiting for a waffle or whatever, it's like, patience is a virtue, it won't go unrewarded, just be patient, be patient, you know, and, you know, and if uh, Freeze has a terrible first year like um, the previous coach, yeah, you know, buy them out or whatever, you know. But at this point, you know, Auburn is just not scraping the bottom, but they can't be very choosy about their coordinators. Is just because of their past being fired or whatever? Doesn't say that they don't have the potential to succeed at Auburn. Right, that makes any sense? And uh, that's what we were talking about with uh, Justin Ferguson. Is that mm-hmm. although those guys. Uh, did get fired. They've also had history of successes too. They've had uh, both good and bad on their resume, and and Auburn could use the good right now. And then you know I, I called in yesterday. You know, uh, offensive coordinator, defensive, uh, offensive or defensive coordinator at an established school, they're not going to leave a, a good thing to come to Auburn. You know, we just have to work with what we can get. But I think the program's already going in a positive direction, you know. And there's people that question the coach's character off the field, you know. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but we can't be too choosy. And I think the contract that we sign him to is um, more economically feasible and able to work with. And maybe they'll have the budget to uh, hire recruitings, not recruits, but coaches and assistant coaches and make it worth their while to stay. Absolutely. Well, well, Daryl, we do appreciate your phone call today, and uh, we appreciate you listening, and, and we talked about everything with you, man. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm here in Auburn. Um, you're going to be stuck with me, and every once in a while, if the show slows down, do you mind me calling? No, not at all. Keep keep on calling. Call us any day you want to. Okay. And then uh, y'all have a great evening, and we'll listen to you tomorrow. You too, Daryl. Appreciate your phone call. Okie dokie. That is Daryl from Auburn joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. We need to go to our first break of our number three show starting to wind down here on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. All of the biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call. We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call podcast. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. I am JJ Jackson. 
uh, with Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress, and Ryan Lavoie. Out of thin air, he appears. Here on Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite. I was away for a little while today, uh, but back in the saddle, a good show so far. Been able to catch bits and pieces and appreciate all the great phone calls that have been had. Uh, how would you guys assess the show so far today? Eight out of ten. Eight? Yeah. Out of ten? Yep. Okay. It's a solid eight. Eight. Are you agreeing? Six plus two and a half. <laughs> well, eight and a half out of ten. Okay, right. good math. Yeah, I yep. couldn't do that. Only reason. What well, could have been better? Uh, the only reason it's it's an eight is because we talked about food and I didn't have any of it to sample in front of me. Mm. Are you Aren't getting you? hungry now? That's, yeah, that's usually your thing, though. Like if you've, you I am see a food thing, it, you yeah. bring in the food. I haven't done that in a while. You haven't. I think the last thing you did was like the jelly beans. It's yeah, because it, the the new food stuff that, that I find, yeah, the, it, the new. Stu- I think it was actually September because it was, was college it? football season. Okay, no, it wasn't the jelly beans. It was the uh, tailgate candy corn. Candy corn. That's what it was. Yep. Um, I and we had banana pudding after. We did, but you see, that's the thing. Is like if you I, had competitions of who could eat the most banana pudding the fastest, and then water. Drinking water. All the, that was epic. All the new stuff that You're I find. You're a machine. I just drink a lot of water. You're a machine. All the new stuff that I find is literally just one yeah. product. And it's like, if we brought it in, it's like, oh, let's taste this on the show. It's like two minutes. You know, it, it's not, not, if you right. find like jelly beans or like candy, flavored candy corn, that takes up a segment. Like we can get through that. We, we try the different ones. And we appreciate 20 minutes out of that. Yeah. Maybe, you know what? You know who always does new stuff around, and it's going to have to be at Easter, is the Peeps company always puts out new flavors of their peeps bunnies and marshmallow stuff i think i'm gonna have to go are, and you, like, are you a peeps guy um yes i'm not a big fan of peeps i just feel like they're i like peeps they're they're, they're, they're mostly right. flavorless to me i don't dislike them but i just i don't see the point in them i i don't need to write home about them but uh if i can get the starburst jelly beans what is the point See, here's what here's the challenge I want to do because if you're talking about things that last more than two to three minutes, go to a wing place and get one wing of every flavor they have. Ooh, you know what we could do? Now that might, depending on the place, it might be too many wings. It might be like twenty wings. You know what would but, be a good idea to kind of incorporate what we've done today is to get plain wings, make just no no sauce on them. And then get the same amount of wings from the restaurant, different flavors, and try the flavors that are in the store bottles with the flavors that come from the restaurant. That would be – you know what we'd have to do, though? We'd have to video that yeah. because there's a person in the studio. He may or may not just have appeared that Out of has great difficulty with hot things. Yeah. And wing places famously have good hot sauces. So, the minute you got past medium, the steam would start coming out, yeah, and I, people need to appreciate that by watching it. And I don't want, I don't want just JJ to get to get the, lol, the heat here, um, <laughs> because I do not handle super spicy stuff either. Like I don't hate it as much as you do, but I'm very much not good with it. I was gonna say I was, I thought there was only like four um, of these buffalo wild wings mix, mixes. Uh, there's five, ten. Uh, about twenty different things that you can get Jeez. in the store, for, yeah. like flavor, like bottles of sauces, and so I thought it was just going to be four. I'm like, oh well, it's not nothing too hot, but no, they've got a uh, they've got everything. They've got everything. They've got everything that you can get. Yeah, that's the problem with some of the big chains, specifically. I mean, they've got, like I said, fifteen, twenty flavors. You know, someone like Voodoo might only have like eight or nine, maybe ten. That might be doable. They don't sell it in stores, but I'm just saying, if you wanted to do 
one of their wings. Also, I'd, if they they would really look at you really weird. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to have five or six different people trying it. So you could order them in sixes. True. So that it, they wouldn't be like, yeah, we're not doing one singular <laughs> wing sauced like this. Uh, Tom Peavy would have a field day. Because what was that that he had during the coaches show? Was China Syndrome? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Was one of the hottest at... Uh, yeah. He's definitely got more heat capability than I do. I, I'm like an above average heat rate. I cannot do like yeah. ultra hot stuff. Tom's really... He he's an all-star. He's an all-star when it comes well, to I mean, handling his heat. That's he, for sure. He's a firefighter. He's got to handle the heat. Oh, I like it. I like it. All the puns. Uh, what's been accomplished on the show today, fellas? What's been our topic of conversation? Well, that. That. That's a good topic. <laughs> uh, last half hour, really. Talk to Justin Ferguson at 4.30 about the different coordinators and about um, the recruiting momentum and about that. Uh, we've had uh, three or four phone callers uh, talking about Anything from Mike Leach, which we opened the show with. Uh, I did hear the open. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, again, just more more items. Didn't mention the World Cup too much, but retired word named Steve brought it up. Argentina advancing to the final. Uh, we've not talked about, if you want to, just for a moment here, uh, that the, the Braves made a trade yesterday, and I think it was talked about yesterday, but Sean Murphy going to Atlanta. Uh, William Contreras Super to briefly discussed yeah. on the show yesterday. Like, very, very, like, hey, this happened, but not much beyond that. Well, let's super briefly talk about it again. I'd love to. Um, still don't know how to feel about it. Saw uh, Dave O'Brien tweet out the fact that he heard from Anthopolis and said that they talked to Darno before the trade. Did you guys see this? Yes. I thought that was noteworthy, that they wanted to make sure he was cool with this. And well, it seems like they're going to go part-time again, DH, catcher, duties there. And then DOB thinks there could be a possibility that Darno is dealt at some point. I don't see that one as much because now you would actually be down on catchers. You say you need need another catcher at that point. Uh, and and also catchers can be a little bit of a less durable position just from an injury standpoint. They can get banged up a little bit easier to begin with. I mean, Travis Darno has been banged up a, a fair amount as a Brave. Uh, so I, I, I don't see that because if they had kept Pena or kept Contreras, then absolutely you still have three. You know, you don't have to have that. But uh, it was an interesting move. I – I think it's a positive. I think it makes the Braves a little better. But having to say goodbye to Contreras when you were trying to teach him left field, you were comfortable with him as DH, made the All-Star team as it uh, as a DH, you know, I, I'm not I'm not really confident you got a whole lot better. You might have just inched forward. I mean, just took a little baby step. But I, I don't think the Braves got uh, significantly better. And – we still got to see with this Dansby Swanson stuff, and, and maybe there's another trade in, down the pipes. If they don't sign Swanson, maybe they acquire another middle infielder or, or at least sign another mid-infielder. But um, the Braves are still being active when they can. Got the relief pitcher from the Tigers. Got Murphy. They like doing business with the A's now. In, yeah, they do. In recent years. So they're still active. Mark Kotze is their manager, right? Yeah, former, yeah, former, former Brave. Former Brave and A. I like that. My question about the trade is um, when when you look at the you, know, you looked at the situation before the trade happened. It was Darno, Contreras, and Pena. Was that a that really wasn't a position that you looked at and said, "Oh, they've got to make a move here." Like those three guys can't pull the weight. Yeah, that was the interesting. Yeah, I, I would have thought they would 
trade one of those guys for something else. Yeah. Not for the same position. So I think that's kind of the... I don't want to say it because, like I said, I do think it's logical in a sense, but it's almost like this making a trade for the sake of making a trade, almost. Let's go ahead and we'll take our final break of today's show. When we come back, a nightly TV guide to wrap it up, a Tuesday edition of Sports Call here on WTGZ Tiger 95.9. on tweeters follow our sports call host jj jackson on twitter by searching at underscore jj underscore jackson underscore and follow the show on twitter by searching at sports call au hashtag is that two words follow sports call on twitter at sports call au like us on facebook at sports call au Back on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, J.J. Jackson with Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress. We hope that you're doing well on this Tuesday. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at SportsCallAU. Download the Tiger Communications app so you can listen to our show on the go wherever you go, and the app is a one-stop shop to find our podcasts, to find various stories that are written on the website uh, each and every day. It's up Updated. So go find the Tiger Communications app on both iPhone and Android devices. All right, our show is almost over, and we end the show the same way every single day. It's time for... Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. A nightly TV guide indeed. What we have here is a nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Heart Seltzer. The variety pack is the go-to. You can go and get six packs of flavors of, of one singular flavor, but why not get a variety pack? So you don't have to make your mind up. You and you can know be what, in for a surprise. You know what the great part about the variety pack is? What's that? You go into holiday parties this time of year, not everyone likes the same Correct. flavor. Boom. Correct. Bring a, a, a six-pack, a variety pack of White Claw that you could find at your local TK's convenience store. All right, Brooks Children, yeah. what's on television tonight, buddy? All right, we'll start out in the movie world at 7 o'clock on FX. National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets, starring Nicolas Cage, is on. There's a new uh, Disney Plus National Treasure series that just came out, or it's really? just coming out. Haven't seen either of the movies. Oh. They're very good. They're very good. I really very, have very it. Good. Is that Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Yeah, just and Diane it. Kruger, who yep. I love. But neither of them are in the series. Uh, what's the well, other guy's name? Well, uh, it's fake. Yeah. What's the, the other real. guy's name? Yeah, the other, the third guy on there. It's Diane Kruger, Nicolas Cage, and then they're like, other sidekick. Oh, you know, Ryan, the sidekick. I don't, I don't know. Just don't worry about it. You got a minute 15 left. You got to go. Uh, also tonight, your other movie pick at 7.15 on AMC. Sean Connery? Get, nope. No. It is uh, Getting to the Holiday Spirit with Elf, starring Will Ferrell. That was uh, on the TV Guide yesterday. It was, because you got to get in the Holiday Spirit. It is Justin uh, Bartha, who played Riley Poole in the movie. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, also, Harvey... He's uh, in the Hangover trilogy. Harvey Cattell. Oh, Sean Bean's in that? I didn't... Yeah. Sean Bean was in that movie. Uh, so those, those are your movie picks. National Treasure 2 and Elf. 
in the sports world this evening, starting out in the college basketball world at 6 o'clock. Hurry, hurry, hurry! The University of National Champions return to the basketball court tonight as they take on the Citadel, North Carolina. Um, 6 o'clock on FS1. Southern heads up north to take on Xavier, the Musketeers, on, uh, as I said, FS1. Then 8 o'clock Does on ESPN2. Southern always have to have no- head north? Yeah. Imagine you're Southern University and there's a school south of you. <laughs> At 8 o'clock on ESPN2, Memphis takes on Alabama. Alabama number four That's in the fun. country now. I'm NBA I'm action you for you so. tonight on TNT at 6.30. The Golden State Warriors take on the Milwaukee You want to have a conversation over Brooks's team. Then at 9 o'clock on TNT, it's the Boston Celtics taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. And, of course, at 8 o'clock tonight on ESPN, the chase for 800 career goals for Alex Ovechkin continues. The Capitals visit the Blackhawks. He needs a hat trick tonight to get to that 800 goals. Mark. We'll see if he can get that done. A lot of great things available there on our nightly TV guide brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Also posted every day on uh, social media at Sports Call AU. That's going to do it for today's show. Fellas, we'll see you tomorrow. All right? All right. Sounds good. Hey, Thank you to Justin Ferguson for stopping by. Uh, for Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress, and Ryan LaVoy, my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.